just after I graduated from college, I did this program in Dallas at a church called Watermark. In fact, that's actually where Hayden and I met, who was just leading worship. We met there, and there was this weird thing when I started working there slash being trained at this church. There was this weird thing that we started to be told about, and it was this thing called a ride-along, which means you ride along with someone somewhere. And so there was just this, this kind of first week, people were like, hey, any, t- any chance you get for a ride-along, you need to take it. And we're like, what is a ride-along? What do you even mean? And so over time, I, I came to understand that this staff in Dallas, like randomly the pastor will just email first four people that are available for lunch, we're leaving in five minutes. And I kid you not, within like 30 seconds or 60 seconds, he'll say, we're full. Another email sent out to the whole staff. And it was just this fascinating thing. And so over time, these, these ride-alongs became these things that you look forward to. And, and we, you would even hear about them. Like some friend would end up with, you know, somebody that they looked up to in leadership. And they're like, oh my gosh, this lunch was amazing. Or I got to tag along to hear him speak at this conference or all these different things. So there was great reason to respond quickly. And in fact, I remember about five years ago today, I have the email still. I got the ride-along email. But this one, it wasn't to the masses. This was just to me and my friend, Joey. And it was somebody we really looked up to. We're like, oh my gosh, we've made it. This guy helped, like, leads a ministry. We look up to him. We want to be like him one day. All these different things. And we get this email, 10.02 p.m. at night, October 5th. I looked it up. I don't remember it. I had to look it up. 10.02, my friend Joey responded at 10.03, I'm in, okay? He's like, hey, will you tag along with me to go to this speaking engagement that I have? And we're like, I have to end up moving my schedule to do whatever it takes to get to join this ride along. And the reason why I did that is because I knew that the reason was valuable. Like the opportunity was so valuable. And so my response was, I'll do whatever it takes. My friend Joey was just like, I'm in. Immediately, I'm in. He had the time. I was like, I got to move some things around on my schedule, within my schedule to make this work. But I'm going to do this because of the opportunity. The reason was powerful. Somebody I looked up to. And I start with that tonight because we're in this day, 24 hours, this, this kind of moment, for those that don't know, in this moment called Go 2020. And for the last 24 hours, we've been praying on Fountain Mall to reach Waco and the world. And so tonight, I want to talk about why go to Waco and the world. Why go at all? And I'm going to give you two reasons And two responses, just as I knew that the reason to go to a ride-along was because it was a good opportunity and my friend Joey's response was quick to a ride-along, I want us to see two reasons and two responses to why we should go. The reason why this is so important is because you're in Waco. Did y'all know that? You didn't. This is the Ferrell Center. In Waco, there's this thing called cultural Christianity. And it's uh, it's not real Christianity, but it kind of looks like it. And in fact, really in, in all of the South, 
there is the danger of this idea or this thing called cultural Christianity. And, and I just want to explain what cultural Christianity might look like. It's when Christianity is reduced to just not sinning. Or Christianity is reduced to just moralism. Or Christianity is reduced to just dressing a certain way or going on occasion to vertical or to church or whatever. There's all these different things ways that we can spot cultural Christianity. And in fact, gotquestions.org has a really good list. I'm going to read a couple of them of ways that cultural Christianity kind of come into play in some of our lives. Here's the first, that we deny the inspiration of scripture or parts of scripture. We're like, yeah, I like this part, but not that part. Or we focus on Jesus's love and acceptance to the exclusion of his teaching on hell, obedience, and self-sacrifice. Or maybe we tolerate or even celebrate sin while claiming to know God. Or maybe we redefine scriptural truths to accommodate culture. Or maybe we deny or minimize Jesus' claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Or lastly, maybe we perform enough religious activity, as I mentioned, to gain a sense of well-being, to feel good about ourselves without a true relationship with Jesus. Tonight, I I want you to know that my vision for this night, I was driving the other day along 35, you know, where all the traffic is and all the construction is. How many of you have been there? Can I get a moan for those that have driven through it? Mm -hmm. It's so annoying. I get it. For you freshmen, bless your souls for the next four years. Unbelievable. There's this construction going on on 35 and I was driving the other day and I noticed one that they're like bridges that just disappear overnight. Have y'all noticed this? It's honestly fascinating. Like 12th street bridge gone, poof. Also one part of 35, like one overpass of 35 gone in the last three weeks. I'm like, where did it go? I'm just wondering, like this is insane what they're doing. It's honestly very, very, uh, like, I have respect for the people that are just flipping Waco upside down right now via construction. And as I'm sitting at this light, and those lights are so off, like, they're just, they don't make sense. The timing is off. I'm waiting way too long, so mad about being there. And as I'm sitting there, I notice that this, this machinery that's just like, boom, boom, boom. That's exactly what it sounded like. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, that is Fascinating, like they are blowing up the road with just like a a massive sledgehammer machine. I don't even know what it is. And and so as I'm watching this, it's breaking up the road into little pebbles. It's just slamming the concrete and shattering it. I don't know if you've seen this. And as I was sitting at the light, I was like, this is literally what's happening in Waco. Yes, But I honestly believe what's happening on 35 is that they're taking down things. They're like deconstructing in order to rebuild and expand. And I honestly believe that that's what God is doing in Waco right now. Like he is taking cultural Christianity and he's just whoopoom, whoopoom, whoopoom. And I hope and pray that you would let God do that in your life.
because it's something that so many of us fall for. And I believe that in the text tonight, we're going to see there's nothing cultural about this. The following Jesus thing, when it says in Matthew 4, when Jesus is like, hey, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. We don't read that and think, you know what, that's for the crazy Christians. They're the ones that are going to go, you know, fish for men, whatever that even means, right? Like that, when I read that, like that's for other people. No, 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 no. Break that. Expand your view. Reconstruct. I don't know how you grew up, where you grew up, or what you think Christianity looks like, but I'm going to invite you to the scripture tonight in Isaiah 6. And I want us to see a glimpse of who the God is that we serve. So if you'll turn in your Bible to Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. Some of you are like, where's Isaiah? It's about midway through the Bible. It's like this. It's in the Old Testament. Isaiah is a, is a person who lives in Jerusalem. And his entire role is he's been sent by God to speak to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. He's a prophet. And we're jumping into this chapter where he gets a vision and we know it's a vision because he sees God, but nobody can see God without falling over dead. So it's, it's a glimpse of who God is. It's not fully who God is. It's even just a glimpse. It's a vision. God allows him to see a vision of who he is. And we pick, ourselves, pick up in the scripture in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Just think like fiery person. Creepy, but crazy. Above him stood this seraphim. Each had six wings. With two of the wings he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. That's the way the seraphim was working. And one seraphim called to the another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook. Man, I'm like, wow. It's like an earthquake at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. This, this is like a scene out of a movie. Isaiah is, sees God. And he describes him in, in these crazy ways. And that's the first reason why we should go. I want us to see in the text tonight is that God is inexplicably greater than we can imagine. He's inexplicably greater. Here's, here's why I say that. It starts with in the year King Uzziah died. Here's what you need to know. King Uzziah was a prosperous king until he got prideful. Then he got leprosy. Then he died. And it was, he was a ruler and a leader for like a really long time, like not like eight years, like we have presidency terms or four, and then, you know, they always do twice, you know, honestly. And so it wasn't like that. Like this guy had been reigning for a long time and the king dies. 
Think about the turmoil. Like what if your president died immediately? It doesn't matter who it is. If Bush had died while he's in office, if Obama had died while he's in office, if Trump dies like anytime soon, like that would be like crazy. What do you do? There's distress, there's turmoil. The leader has died, but there is a Lord and a King who sits enthroned. There's a comparison here. There's this Lord who sits enthroned forever. God is on the throne. He's not limited by terms and he's not limited by some earthly death. He sits enthroned forever. He's the king enthroned and he's wearing this robe that symbolizes royalty and majesty. And as I said, the seraphim means a fiery angel. It's like a burning one. Six wings, that's insane. And, and the wings are, are used to, to, to stay afloat, but also to cover up because the holiness of God is no match, even for a superhuman, fiery angel. Like this is insane. And they're singing holy, holy, holy. What holy means, Merriam-Webster. This is what Merriam-Webster says about holy. It means exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. I'm like, wow, that's in the like dictionary. <laughs> but it's not just one holy, it's holy, holy, holy. This repetition in scripture, specifically three times, it suggests supreme and complete holiness. It's complete. Who he is, supreme, complete. God is inexplicably greater than we can imagine. Which begs the question, how do you view God? Think about it for a second. Some think God is just a killjoy who's trying to keep you from having fun. Or recently I've been talking to a lot of people that have right and left decisions and they're like, if I go right, then God's really gonna, you know, smite me because I didn't go left. And God's really just this God who's up there trying to punish us. Or maybe you think God is just kind of like a condiment. You're like, yep, I, I like a little ketchup on my hot dog, you know, why not? A little bit of God here and there kind of makes me feel good about myself every once in a while. Isaiah 55, 9 talks about God and he says that it's for as high as the heavens, or excuse me, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is so much bigger, so much greater, so much further above us. We have such a small view of God and, and then some of us even think we don't need God. Like, just think about the way that you walked or you lived today. If you didn't acknowledge him at some point today, you may fall into the trap of not believing that you need God. And I, too, fall into that trap because we don't have a right view of God. So the reason 
first reason why we should go. It's because God is inexplicably greater than we can imagine. I love what scripture says about the love that he's shown us that surpasses understanding. It, we can't even understand the love that he has for us. I love that. I'm like, that makes sense. That's why every once in a while I get a little bit more of a glimpse of God's love for me. And I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm like resaved. I don't think that's a thing. But like, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm in awe of the love that he has for me. I don't even think I realized how much he loved me until this moment. A little bit more, it surpasses our understanding. So the first reason is because he's so great. And there's a response that Isaiah has in verse 5. And it's this. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I will dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's response is woe, W-O-E, which is this passionate cry of grief or despair. It's almost like, like I don't measure up. When I see God, I, I, I fall short. Like it's almost like if he was up there right now, like let's pretend like he's right there. It'd be like, oh no, he is so great. I'm lost compared to that. Like I'm a nobody, I, I'm, I'm unclean. I'm impure. We don't measure up to his glory. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. So this right view of God leads to a right view of ourselves. A right view of God leads to a right view of ourselves. And it requires humility to just acknowledge, like, I don't measure up to that how good God is, how great he is. I don't measure up. You know, kind of a weird way I see this in my life is I think I'm a pretty good runner, which isn't really true. I, I just think it's good for me. And, and I, I realize how bad I am at running when I run around the bear trail. And here's, here's how this happens. I'm like, man, I feel really good about the way I run until somebody passes me. And let me just tell you, I'm just confession, just for a second. There is nothing more frustrating than being passed on the bear trail, okay? Has this ever happened to any of one? I'm the only one. No, I just can't see you. And so here's the deal. I, I, as I run and somebody passes me, it gives me a realization of my lack of speed and my age. It's like I'm getting older. You know, this kind of thing is happening to me. I can't go that fast. Sometimes I try to catch up. I can't catch up. It's this crazy thing. It takes seeing something else to realize, you know, I'm not that fast, honestly, right? That's the way life sometimes works. It takes a right view of something for us to have a right response. So the first reason why we go is because we have a right view that God is inexplicably greater than we can imagine. So our response is out of humility. It's, whoa, I don't measure up. Let's continue in verse 6. Then, after Isaiah has admitted he doesn't measure up, he's impure, he's lost. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So the second reason why we should go is because God's grace is personal, instant, and sufficient. The seraphim comes with this burning coal from the altar, which which symbolizes atonement all throughout the Old Testament. The seraphim comes to Isaiah. It's a personal touch on the lips that provides this purity. And at the touch of the coal, there's an immediate removal of guilt. Your guilt is taken away. That's what the seraphim declares. And at the touch of the coal, there is sufficient atonement for sins. It's personal. The seraphim comes. It's instant. It happens that moment. It's sufficient for sin, for all the sin of Isaiah. And atonement is this repayment for the wrong and and even the woe that he had admitted just a moment ago. And this is the gospel. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us. This is a perfect picture that God isn't this distant God. Although you might think that based on what I just described. No, no, God isn't distant. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. He's personal. He became a person so that his perfect life and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins and his resurrection from the dead would allow for us to have instant purification for those that confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. There is an instant justification, atonement, forgiveness for those that believe It's personal, it's immediate, and it's sufficient for all eternity. That's the gospel. The second reason why we should go is because God's grace is personal, instant, and sufficient. He's not distant. He is with us, Emmanuel. God with us. The reason always has a response. In verse 8, we pick up. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is Isaiah. He's like, I hear, heard God saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. The response to God's grace being personal, personal, instant, and sufficient is willingness. The grace in the gospel is so good that Isaiah's like, here I am, send me. I'm the one. When God asks, who shall I send? Isaiah's like, it's me. I've seen what you've done for me. I've experienced the personal grace that you've shown. Send me. 
reporting for duty, sir. His is, I'm ready. There's a willingness that Isaiah has. And I think this is important for us to realize. Because I think sometimes even I fall into the trap of trying to convince you to go. Trying to convince you to go to the people that you sit next to in class if you're wondering who to go to. You go to class and you tell them. Waco in the world is where we're meant to go. But I think sometimes I have to convince you of this, but that's not the way we're meant to live. We're not meant to be convinced of this. We're meant to be compelled by this. Like the good news is so good that we're willing to do this. And in fact, one of the girls on staff with us named J.C. Gregory, this was her experience in college. She, she felt bad and guilt and bitterness because she kind of kept trying to convince herself to share the gospel. And she was on this, even, even on a short-term mission trip somewhere else. And she, was, she had this guilt and shame associated with like, she was just sharing the gospel to please the people around her. And so we talked about this and she told me, she was like, Dale, I, I, was, I was missing it. I was trying to convince myself. I wasn't compelled by his love. And she said, you have to spend time with God to have God's heart for people. So I was like, I'm just gonna read that. Our willingness comes from a right understanding of God and his heart for all of the people of this world. And to experience, she goes on to say, to experience a personal calling and a change of heart in the way you view people, you must meet with God and allow his word to transform your heart and your thinking. So if you're not willing tonight, I actually don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to get on your knees and ask to see God. I want you to get on your knees and ask that you would rightly understand the abundance of grace that he's shown us through his son, Jesus. Don't feel bad. This isn't leave here and be guilty. I don't want to convince you to go in 2020. I want all of us to be compelled. And I want it to be so significant that maybe you would even consider tithing your 20s. Like former vertical volunteer Ashley Nock, who went with us to Southeast Asia about two summers ago. She comes back and over the course of time, she's the sorority girl. She's living the dream with all her friends. And one day she's like, I'm gonna go to Uganda when I graduate. I'm gonna give up this American dream thing and I'm gonna sell it all to count the cost. She's like, I'm gonna count the cost. I'm gonna leave it all behind to follow Jesus and to tell people about him. It's likely she signed up for singleness as long as she's over there. She's like, it doesn't matter. It's worth it. I'm willing. And when we're compelled and not convinced, we read Acts 1.8. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We read that and we realize that's us. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit for those that believe this is us to be his witnesses. And we read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you. So we're compelled when he tells us to go, we go, and there's even a promise that he's going to go with us. Praise God. So why go? Because God is inexplicably greater than we can imagine, and our response is woe. And number two, God's grace is personal, instant, and sufficient, so our response should be a willingness that ride along I told you about, I said yes because people told me it could be valuable. That was the reason why I went. My response was to change priorities to make it happen. That response ended up being far more meaningful than I could have imagined. Because there was this guy who invited me to go to Waco. He invited me to go to vertical. He was speaking. I was just a ride along. Vertical wasn't on my radar. And I don't think Waco was on his radar either. His name was JP. And we came to Waco together. Just saying yes. Little did we know. This is where we would both end up. But this is exactly how God works. He takes our right responses and he uses them to lead us through life. And so you may ask the question, where do we go first? First is Waco. I know there's 30 missions organizations here. Then you go reach the world. Where do we go first? Waco than the world, but I, I would even venture to say that this can't happen unless we first rightly understand and view God. I would venture to say that it would require a revival of our own hearts to reach Waco in the world. So if you're wondering how you can go, just know go2020waco.com is a website that's been created to connect you to reach the world. And in fact, we're gonna continue praying on Fountain Mall, even tonight, the 24 hours is not done. That's where I'm going after this. I wanna invite you, if you haven't been yet, go, pray, get on your knees. Lord, how can we reach Waco? How can we reach the world? And I don't know if you know this, but a long time ago, there was a revival that happened at Baylor and it reached the world. There's a book about it called Riding the Wind of God. And it happened through students. And I was reading the other day a story about this group of students who went to England and they were studying 
you know, revival. They were studying reaching groups of people, reaching cities in the world. They were studying these things and they found themselves in, in John Wesley's house. I don't wanna mess this up. They, they, they found themselves in John Wesley's house and, and in his house were these two indentions on the ground. And they were right where his knees went. And so they were getting a tour and, and there were these indentions and they're like, this is where he would pray. And the story goes that this group of students starts to leave and the professor gets to the bus and the professor's like, wait, we're missing somebody. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go back and find out like, who is it that's left behind? And there was this person that was kneeling in the indentions in this museum. There was somebody sitting in the indentions, kneeling and saying, do it again, Lord. He was crying out and praying, Lord, do it again. And the professor was like, hey, His name, that student, was named Billy Graham. But Billy had this right view of God, and he was like, do it. Do whatever it takes. Do it again, Lord. Use me. But again, I don't think we have this right view that gives us the ability to get on our knees and say, do it again. Use whoever it takes, even if it means me. I think because we don't have a right view of God, a lot of us in this Christian life are playing defense. We're not praying each and every day for God to do it again. We're not moving the needle of darkness backwards and bringing light into this world that God's kingdom would come and wake up. We're not living like that. A lot of us are kind of living in defense. Our people pleasing leads us to defense. Our, 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 our addictions and sins are leading us to defense. Our lack of understanding of the importance of God's word, it's like defense. Even for me this week, I just, I, I need to admit to you, social media has made me on defense. It's distracted me from being on offense and being like, Lord, do it again, please. And would you even start in my own heart? And so I'm begging you tonight. Let's quit living on defense in the cultural Christianity and let's beg God for him to give us a view by his grace of who he is and what he's done for us on the cross. And may it change you and me. Would it change Waco? And would it reach the world? going to pray you would do that. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, there are 31 days in October. Would you help us to go every single day on campus? Would we share the gospel with somebody every single day? Would you send us somebody each day to tell about the good news of what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, and, and we ask that you would provide us with opportunities so that we could go first to Waco and then to the world. Lord, would your kingdom come on Baylor's campus and would you use us as a part of it? Lord, if we just did this in 31 days, if everyone told one person a day, we could reach the campus. And so Lord, we, we open up our hands and we ask that you would use us 
here we are, send me. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name.